Welcome to a public lecture podcast from the University of Bath. In this lecture, Dr. Rod Thomas talks about a newly discovered Iron Age settlement and other findings on Bathampton Down. We are very, very privileged to have our first speaker, uh, Dr. Rod Thomas. Uh, he has um, basically a medical background. Um, I'm sure you've read about it in the notes. Uh, he's a retired physician, cardiologist. He's lived in Bath for 30 years. He had a, a relatively innocuous childhood of interest in f sport and butterflies and the like. And all of a sudden, he was walking across the golf course and he came across some unevenness in the ground. And he wondered, what on earth was that? And uh, back at the bar, the 19th hole, I suppose, the members, the honorable members of the Bath Golf Club said there was something to do with medieval defenses, perhaps. And his curiosity got the better of him. And that's why he's here tonight. I think that's about all I need to say, apart from the fact that he did take a few courses at this university and also has worked with the Bath and Camerton um, Archaeological Society, a very uh, important group of people on the national scale. They even got a large grant recently for their work from Wellcome Foundation, was it? I'm not sure. And they have their meetings at my own institution quite often. Without more, more ado, um, please welcome this wonderful speaker, um, Dr. Rod Thomas, to tell us all about what happened a long, long time ago. Thank you. Thank you very much for that um, kind introduction. Can people in the back row hear me? If so, put up your hand. Thank you. Um, Archaeology is often in the news, so I'm going to start with a newspaper cutting, which is a letter in The Guardian from about two weeks ago by 30 professors of archaeology. I'm not sure what the collective noun is, 30 professors of archaeology. And the details were really about the reburial of archaeological remains. But in general, what these people said was that research in archaeology makes important contributions to the public's understanding of the lives of the people who came before us. It helps put our own lives into perspective. So, um, first picture. So in 1924, a First World War bomber flew over Barthampton Down. And on board were two people, Oggs Crawford, who was a professional archaeologist, um, the first archaeologist for the Ordnance Survey, and um, Alexander Keeler, the marmalade millionaire who was sponsoring the trip. And this was a pioneer exercise in photographing archaeological sites. And what Crawford wrote, Crawford was a rather eccentric man, and what he wrote was this. Much has been written about Barthampton Down by local archaeologists, but not one has understood it. Let us draw a veil over the past and begin again. Well, actually, a number of people have 
written about it recently. In particular, <coughs> Bob Whitaker, who's the chairman of Bath and Camerton Archaeological Society, he wrote a thesis on Bathampton Down, which I had access to. And in it, he described Bathampton Down as having a rich, complex, and fragile archaeological past. A number of other archaeologists have written about it. Uh, one is Marek Lukum from the Society, who I see with embarrassment is in the audience, because I'm sure he knows more about the subject than I do. Well, the title of this talk is really A Sacred Landscape. Um, that's a picture of Bathampton Down. The reason I called it A Sacred Landscape is twofold. First of all, I think it is genuinely a sacred landscape. And secondly, the alternative title, The Prehistory of Bathampton Down, is very dull. And Bathampton Down is not a dull place. So why is it so special? Why choose Bathampton Down of all the places around Bath? Well, perhaps it's shown in this uh, Royal Air Force photograph from 1946. Um, north is here, south is at the top, so the university is now at the top end here. This is Bathampton Down. This is Claverton Down. Um, this Brass Knock... Sorry, Bathwick Hill and North Road along here. And what you can see is the landscape is either developed and built on, or in the case of Bathampton Down, it was farmland and has been ploughed out of earthworks. Bathampton Down has been relatively preserved by being a golf course for 130 years. And so even there you can see there are earthworks, these lines across the down. It's a little bit like a small version of Salisbury Plain or the Salisbury Plain training area, which in fact has been relatively protected by being an army training area. So there are a lot of archaeological monuments there and there's a lot of wildlife there. Francis Pryor, a well-known archaeologist, has written about that, that <coughs> excuse me, a regiment of tanks, each weighing 50 tonnes, does less archaeological damage in a year than one tractor with a plough in one day. So archaeologists don't like modern farming. But there's an, another aspect which I was interested in, in looking into, and it's shown by these two books. And the well-known dichotomy, are you Greek or barbarian, which has continued. In the book on the left by David Dimbleby, which was associated with a glossy television program, David Dimbleby said how the Romans brought order to the barbarian chaos of the British Isles. Well, order possibly debatable, but barbarian chaos, no. The other book is The History of the World in 100 Objects by Neil McGregor, who's um, director of the British Museum. <coughs> This was associated with a radio program, which many of you may have listened to. If you haven't listened to it, then you ought to. And one of the objects that Neil McGregor chose was this, which is the Mould Cape. Mould is a place in North Wales. And this is an exquisitely made gold cape. Um, the decorations are like strings of beads around it. It was designed to fit over the head and shoulders of a young person. And as Mir um, McGregor says, I have to remind myself, it came from a centre of great wealth and power. And the date of this is about 2000 BC. 
So what Neil McGregor writes is that societies in Britain must have been extremely sophisticated. So it's evidence like the mould cape that shows that really we cannot dismiss prehistoric Britain as being primitive. Where is Barthampton Down? Uh, you probably all know, but when I tell people I've been looking at things in Barthampton Down, many people say, where is it? This is a little section of the National Trust Bath Skyline Walk. The Skyline Walk is in the mauve around the edge. Uh, north is at the top. This is Barthampton Down here. The university you can see. And Barthampton Down is only about half a mile north to south and about uh, three quarters of a mile east to west. A walk from here, from Barthampton, round the down, like that, is about two and a half miles. And Barthampton Down is a beautiful place. It's an area of outstanding natural beauty. Uh, the field, the grassland, that is not actually fairways, is managed by the environmental stewardship scheme of DEFRA, which means it's specially conserved. There's a triple SI area of the quarry around here for horseshoe bats. And there's a scheduled monument in the middle, labelled on this National Trust map as Barthampton Down Hillfort, about which more later. And it's protected by English heritage, about also which more later. So where, where do we begin the story? Uh, Arnold Toynbee, a famous historian, said that history is one damn thing after another. Well, if you go into archaeology, sometimes I think that archaeology is one damn thing before another, because you have to go back. I'm going to make a few confessions during this, this little talk. First confession is that I originally planned to do a really fancy PowerPoint uh, lecture, and I gave up, and I'm using the well-known draw-it-yourself and stick and paste. So this is, this is, this is a timeline, a simplified timeline, the Ice Age ended about 8,000 BC. These are thousands of years across the top. Nought, birth of Jesus, 2000 AD now. So the Ice Age ended here. Climate warmed and hunter-gatherers moved back into Britain from the mainland. The sea rose and by about 6,500, Britain became geographically an island. Hunter-gatherers, I'm just mentioning briefly because you may not know that during the excavation of, for the new Bath Spa about 10 years ago, a borehole was drilled in the area of the hot bath spring, and there was found a huge collection of Mesolithic hunter-gatherer tools. And there really is only one explanation for so, much, so many tools in one place, and that is they were deposited as a ceremony or a ritual. So people went on doing this. They did it in the Iron Age, Roman times, and they do it today. People throw silver or coins into the hot water springs, little realising that it was first done 8,000 years before. So we move on a bit to <coughs> the next uh, era, which is the Neolithic era. Um, I'm going to go through this chronologically, so we're a little bit about hunter-gatherers, not very much at all. A bit about the Neolithic. This was the time, said to be the time of farming or domestication. When there were long barrows, the dead were buried communally in long barrows. There's an excellent long barrow at Stony Littleton, not on Barthampton Down. 
stone circles come from the end of the Neolithic to the Bronze Age. And the Neolithic was famous for its stone tools. Now, there were thousands of stone tools being found on the dams of Bath. Most of these are in the basement of Bristol City Museum or the basement of the BRLSI, and they're not available to be seen. And they're beautiful tools. Some are really like jewels. On the top here are three hammer stones, which are the very tools used for making flint tools. They are found on Barthampton Down. These, for example, are leaf-shaped arrowheads of the Neolithic period, and various other ones. And this chap down here is Dr. Stuart Pryor, an archaeologist for Bristol, who reconstructed a Neolithic bow. There was a bow, or half a bow, found in the Somerset levels. This is very rare to find ancient organic material, because usually it's all rotted away, and you can find uh, stone things, but not, not uh, wood. So Stuart Pryor and his friends reconstructed the bow using flint tools. And when it was tested by archery experts, they found that the arrow actually flies faster than the reconstructed medieval bow. So these bows were more effective weapons than the famous longbows of Agincourt, which we all like so much. So the Neolithic people were very effective inventors of things. Now, I said that there are stone circles amongst the monuments at the end, towards the end of the Neolithic. Is there a stone circle on Bothampton Down? Well, in 1857, the Reverend Scarth of Barthwick and Woolley, a very respected antiquarian, wrote that on Barthampton Down are the remains of stone circles, similar in appearance to those of Stanton Drew. This is Stanton Drew. And happily, the larger stones have been removed within the memory of the present generation in order to construct fancy cromlex. Cromlex is, is not used anymore. It means for large stones. So in order to construct fancy cromlex in the park or rock work in the gardens. Well, a few years ago, a dowser said he'd found the stone circles and he wrote to John Oswin. John Oswin is in charge of geophysics for Bath and Cameron Archaeological Society and a national expert in the subject. And I think he rose to the challenge. So we went to look for it. And I say we, a number of volunteers of the society. I see there's some in the audience. Uh, Roger Wilkes um, and Laurie Scott were here. So we went to look for it using geophysics, which is a way of surveying under the ground for things that you can't see. This is John using his magnetometer on the down. Picture really partly to show that a rather poor picture of the distant views. Magnetometry detects very mild changes in the Earth's magnetic field. And when a, you have a hole in the ground, a, a trench or a pit, topsoil will fall into the hole. And topsoil has more magnetic oxides, oxides than subsoil. So you can pick up holes or trenches. It's relatively quicker to do because you can walk a sort of normal speed. Next technique is resistivity. This measures electrical resistance and the tool has to be put into the ground. This is a slightly colder day. This is John and Laurie Scott dressed up like Scott of the Antarctic by the look of it. And resistivity measures the electrical resistance and you pick up stones and walls and buildings. 
This technique can also be done a separate way using profiling. And if you find something, you can get some idea of the depth of what it is. Lastly, there's ground penetrating radar when you use radar pulses to get a 3D image. We hope to get a 3D image. I've got a second confession here to make. And that is that these studies were done inside the so-called Barthampton Down Hill Fort, inverted commas, and this is protected and scheduled and looked after by English Heritage. We should have got permission from English Heritage before we did the surveying. And I'd looked at their website about three years ago, and I hadn't picked that up. And you weren't not allowed any digging. Um, you weren't allowed to take a metal detector. I didn't pick this up. So last week I had to be very humble and groveling to English Heritage and say, I'm very sorry, this was a mistake. I think we're about to get a letter from them ticking us off for doing it. But I apologise. English Heritage, we're sorry. It was a, it was a mistake. So, uh, third, uh, second confession. Third confession is I'm going to show you a picture of the geophysics. And I'm really reminded of when I used to do uh, the early days of cardiacs. Oh, that's the <laughs> In the early days of cardiac scanning, it was very difficult to interpret the finds. And people used to joke that it looked as though we were looking for a black cat in a dark cellar. <laughs> so this is one of the first pictures. Black is, black is rock, bedrock. A line across here is probably a wall. There may be a square building there, we're not sure. This is all fairly early to present it because um, the work is being written up at the moment. And around here, here this area, are some blobs which appear like stones, in a sort of oval shape. It looks like an oval shape. So we looked at the profile of these. And these pictures are all by courtesy of John Oswin. We did a profile, which is a way of seeing how deep are the structures which you see. The circle here has been actually turned through right angles. And underneath is the uh, profiling results. Red are stones or rock-looking-like stones. So the interpretation of this, and I'll read out what John has said, is that we may have located part of the stone circle complex and that the profiling appears to represent individual buried stones. We did not confirm the Dowser's finding. Uh, his proposed circles were not in this exact place. <coughs> So it could be a stone circle. Stone circles are, were not always circular. One in three were uh, either elliptical or egg-shaped or flattened circles. So the, um, the shape is fine for that. So where is it? Well, I'll show you later where it is. But cir stone circles are often in the centre of what's called a circular landscape. They can be surrounded by a ring of hills or a view. Um, and the view... The view from the top of the down is spectacular. This is a view shed produced by Tim Lunt, who's also in the audience, I'm pleased to say, and which is a composite picture, really, of a three-dimensional map of the area. This is the Bristol Channel here. Bath is here, and Bristol is over here. So it's a 3D map, and on top, shaded pink, are the elevated areas which you can see from the position of Barthampton Down. So north of the down, we can see Lansdowne, Charmy Down, Banner Down. 
Round over here we can see the Wiltshire Hills, um, the Marlborough Hills, sorry, the Marlborough Hills here. This is Salisbury Plain, and these are the Mendips. These are the hills around Bristol, which of course mostly built on. Dundry Hill is about here, I think. In fact, from the top of down, you can actually see the tops of the Welsh hills on a very fine day. So monuments are sited to maximise their visibility, which was certainly possible there. If you don't think this is relevant, at the very least, it's a, really, it's a good idea of the fabulous picture which you can see from the top of the dome. But stone circles were built at the end of the Neolithic period and the beginning of the Bronze Age, which we show here, Bronze Age we now have moved on. The Bronze Age was famous, perhaps for its round barrows, as well as, as, well as its metalwork. So round barrows on Bathampton Down, well, officially, according to the Sites and Monument Record, which is the official record of monuments, there are eight round barrows. There are probably at least 12, and there are almost certainly more than that. People who've looked into this carefully say that we can only now see one in ten of the round barriers that were originally present. We know where most of them are. The Reverend Skinner of Camerton drew them and excavated them in the early 19th century. And many of his pictures are in his diaries, of which there are 146 volumes in the British Library. This is one of them, which is a round barrier which is has got Sham Castle in the background. This is one of the largest that is still present now, and it's in the field, the university field, between Sham Castle and the university. It was about five or six feet high when Skinner drew it. It's now been a bit flattened and eroded, and it's got a footpath right across the top, squashing it even further. Skinner's technique of excavation has been described by one barrow expert as unsupervised blundering. And, and here's is a, a quarryman going at it, hell for leather with a pickaxe. There's, there's another round barrow, which is possibly the biggest on Barthampton Down. And when Skinner drew it, part of it had already been removed by quarrying, by late 18th century quarrying. But it shows where there's a grave under the barrow here, another one over here. And this is the same barrow from a different view, with a, the unsupervised pickaxe man trying to find something. And this barrow has a road across it to those aerials, those transmission aerials. So if you walk along the road there, you can just see the remains of a ditch. The barrow itself has been flattened. What else I can say about barrows? Um, uh, the interesting thing about round barrows is that individually, they're a little bit tedious to look at, especially if they've been flattened. But as a group, they're very important. And they're not just burial mounds, they're landscape monuments. They're often cited for very important reasons. Um, for example, they may well be territorial markers. And the little crops around Bath, for example, in Lansdowne, Charmy Down, um, Hinton Chart House, are all crops which suggest they may be territorial groups. Julian Richards, a famous archaeologist, has described them as pre-literate title deeds to the land, put down to make sure, show people that the land was under ownership. So where are these round barrows? Well, shown on this picture, this is a Google Earth picture. North is at the top. The university is down here. These are the two round barrows in the university field, of which they were both drawn by a skinner. 
This one is the only one that has disappeared completely. The one I showed you that's been partly coiled out is here. Um, there are two over here which are not recognised by the SMR, the Sites and Monument Record, uh, but Marek Lucan has seen them, and they're also easily visible on aerial photographs. And in fact, the Bath Society went there. We went about two weeks ago to do some geophysics of these barrows with uh, conflicting results. The stone circle, if it exists, is there in the middle. Now, round bows are often put in a, in a rather circular manner, in a circular pattern. And a sacred landscape has been described as a focal point or a focal area in the landscape which has been set aside for monuments to the dead. So there are many people who would call this pattern as a sacred landscape. What? So one more rambo. There's another rambo here. This is a, an aerial photograph from 2002 showing Barthampton down. North is up here. And the round barrow is over here. There's a bigger picture. The round barrow is here in this corner. This is actually on the golf course. And it's easily recognisable. It's got a dip in the top where somebody has excavated it. Not Skinner, according to the records, but somebody else has dug into it. Barrow digging was very popular. It's, it was a sort of leisure class activity in the 19th century. Uh, le leisure class grave robbing, I would say, probably. But the interesting thing is that the barrow is situated very carefully in the corner of these earthworks. Now these earthworks with the most impressive finding on the down are the boundaries of an ancient field system. And they cover the whole down like a great patchwork. In fact, there are little islands of these field systems around Bath. They're seen, for example, a small amount on Lansdowne, uh, slightly more on Charmy Down, where they haven't been destroyed by the airfield. Um, in Barthampton Meadows, at the time of the Barthampton Eastern Bypass, there were some found. Uh, round by the canal on the uh, Warminster Road, Brassknocker Hill has a few, Newton St. Lowe has a few. So the whole area around Bath must have been covered with these field boundaries. The problem is the date. And when were they built? Well, we now know that most field boundaries in the south of England were built in the Bronze Age. In fact, Francis Pryor, <coughs> of the tank quote, was written in a book published last year. That the revelation of the extent of Bronze Age fields has been one of the most important discoveries in British archaeology. So very many of them were started in the Bronze Age. What we don't know for sure is the age of the field boundaries on Barthampton Down. Because they were used again in the Iron Age, especially the later Iron Age, and in Roman times, when they were remodelled or refashioned or rebuilt. So very often these field boundaries are called Iron Age. Uh, in fact, the likely thing is that they started in the Bronze Age and were refashioned in the Iron Age. There's very little uh, excavation evidence to prove their age, perhaps a little bit in Barthampton Meadows, Barthampton Meadows, showing that they seem to come after some of the Iron Age uh, roundhouses. But this is, so, potentially Bronze Age, but what else from the Bronze Age? Where's all the bronze? There have been about 14 Bronze Age weapons found in Bath. These are <clears throat> axes, 
and swords and pole staves. These are pole staves, which are sort of axes. And these uh, tools are kept in a cardboard box in store in the Roman Baths Museum and were very kindly lent by them to an exhibition at the BRLSI early this year, hence the numbers. There's also some jewellery which is also uh, locked away, but we can't see these. And this is described, the Bronze Age has been described as the first golden age of prehistory. In fact, towards the end of Bronze Age, there were new forms of social activity. I've always wanted to show this next little bit to people. A, a professor of archaeology, Professor Champion, has described these. He's a professor of the late Bronze Age and early Iron Age. And these are his four themes about society at the late Bronze Age. There was conspicuous consumption of wealth, as shown by the deposition of these valuable Bronze Age tools, which was probably partly a status symbol. There was warfare, slashing swords, um, shields, and clear evidence of war. Other archaeologists have described this as the first time of the first arms race. There's good evidence of feasting, feasting and probably drinking, and there was the uh, development of wheeled vehicles, which Professor Champion says is an example of lavish expenditure and symbolic display. And this is 1000 BC, yet it could be today, or could be, or could be until the last few years. So I think this is, this is a great example of the fundamental importance of prehistory, or pre-Roman history, to modern British society. So we move on to the next time, which is, we've got as far as the Iron Age over here. I think this is the last time I'm going to show this timeline, if you're a bit fed up with it. Roman Britain is just here, there's still a bit of <coughs> So perhaps the icons of the Iron Age are hill forts. And these are three hill forts, Battlesbury, Middle Hill, and Scratchbury. And these are just outside Warminster. If you drive from Warminster to Salisbury on the A36, the old road is down here. A new bypass comes in about here. But if you look north, the whole horizon, which is, which is partly the edge of Salisbury Plain, is made up of these three hill forts. So what have we got? What is it on Barthampton Down? It's difficult to get a good picture. This is another aerial photograph from 2002. Uh, south is at the top where the university is. And around the down goes this ditch and rampart. But what is it? What is the confusion here? In Ordnance Survey maps up to the 1950s, this used to be called a camp and also part of the Wandsdyke. In the 1970 Ordnance Survey maps, it was called a fort. In the most recent editions of the Ordnance Survey maps, the what I call the one-inch map and the two-and-a-half inch, two-and-a-half map, on one of them it's an enclosure, on another it's a camp enclosure. On the National Trust walk map, it's a hill fort. And in the book on Bath by uh, Professor Davis and Dr. Bonsall, which came out a few years ago, one of the few books to consider prehistory, it's decided it's called a, a great fortified settlement. So what is this thing? Linnaeus, father of the classification 
of Animal and Plant Kingdom, said, If you do not know the names of things, the knowledge of them is lost. So I think one problem is we don't know what this is. Well, in 1956, well, that's a tiny bit of it. I'll scrap, scrap that. 1956, Wainwright did a rescue excavation digging through three trenches through this um, ditch and rampart uh, on the site of the proposed Bath University of Technology. And this is a picture partly by him, but also modified by Professor Cunliffe from Oxford. This is the ground level in green. There was a huge box rampart made of very heavy limestone flags, which are still present, a platform or berm, and a deep, wide ditch. The ditch is up to six feet deep and up to 18 feet wide. And Wainwright concluded that it was a, an early Iron Age hill fort. But what is a hill fort nowadays? The term hill fort was used especially after World War II when archaeologists such as um, Sir Mortimer Wheeler, who was a military man, he'd fought in the army in both world wars, he thought hill forts were defence because he was a military man. So up to the 1960s, hill forts were thought to be for defence, only for defence. And then from, say, the 1980s, people began to realise that it couldn't be the explanation for all of them. Many of them were impossible to defend. So other words have been used to, des to describe what they're used for. Prestige and display as a show-off, as a territorial marker, some to be, appear to be on the edge of territories, some in the middle of territories. They were for seasonal communal gatherings. There's quite reasonable evidence for that, especially involving livestock management and especially involving feasting, again. Some have clear evidence of religious or ritual practices and some seem to be large grain storage areas. And towards the end of the Iron Age, there were a small number which were developed and uh, built up, and they were perhaps more, I haven't put that down, they were perhaps more evidence that they were for defence and settlement. But most weren't. The structure on, on um, Bothampton Down has really been named by experts an early Iron Age hilltop enclosure. Sorry, early Iron Age hilltop enclosure. One interesting thing about that is that um, is where are all the people living? If they're about a population, let's say, of two million, which is rather a lot, and these, the Iron Age people were mainly farmers living in farmsteads, perhaps a bit warlike at times, where were they all? Uh, um, there have been very few Iron Age finds in Bathory, relatively few. Uh, when the Bath Eastern Bypass was built... There was an excavation there, a rescue excavation, and I think two round-age, round two iron-age roundhouses were found there. But otherwise, there's very little evidence. Well, using documentary evidence from the Reverend Skinner and from a man called Colley, who wrote about it, and whose documents are in Taunton Records Office, Colley was in 1949, he was taking topsoil from an area to make to make um, flower beds, and he found some Iron Age pottery. Using this information, I thought I knew where the Iron Age site was. I went there with Martin Papworth, who is the regional archaeologist for the National Trust. It is National Trust land. I went there with Bob Whitaker, chairman of the society. 
and after a great deal of effort, we got a license from the National Trust to do a trial excavation. It took quite a long time. The National Trust insisted on a £5 million public indemnity insurance. The Society only had a £2 million insurance. But eventually we did a trial excavation in December 2008. This is a picture of it. This is Owen Dicker, a stalwart of the Society. This is Bob Whitaker, the chairman, keeping very careful records. Excavation is destruction. Once you've excavated, you can't do it again. So you have to keep very careful records of everything it has done. So I was actually very excited by this. This was really important. We dug the three trial pits, and we found nothing. I say nothing, I always say nothing. In fact, we, we found about 368 finds, items, but nothing prehistoric, nothing from the Iron Age. Uh, there were clay pipes, which Marek Lucan very kindly looked at, many of them to the 19th century. There's quite a lot of pottery, which was, again, mostly 19th century pottery. <coughs> Not what we were looking for. So what to do next? I talked to Martin Papworth from National Trust. I said, should we dig a few more trenches? And he said, no, that's a bit like playing battleships. Not the way to go. And the area was very overgrown. It's not possible to do geophysics. So it was a sort of impasse. I used to go there occasionally, wandering through, looking for signs. And I got help from an unexpected quarter. <laughs> this, is, this is an illustration from The Wind in the Willows. You probably recognise of Mr. Badger welcoming Mole and Ratty, who are lost in a snowstorm in the night. Well, in the middle of the wood where this site is, I found a huge badger set, which I hadn't noticed before. Around the badger set were huge spoil heaps, and on the spoil heaps there was Iron Age pottery. <laughs> I found about 50 pieces, 50 sherds of Iron Age pottery. I was extremely careful. Uh, badgers are a protected species. You're not allowed to interfere with them. I didn't dig into any of the ground. I lifted them off the surface very carefully, leaving no trace. This is a picture of some of the bits of pottery. Um, some of it has these uh, careful decorations on the line, horizontal bands. Some have a more geometric pattern. Uh, pottery I took to, I actually told Professor Cunliffe... Uh, since he's an expert, the expert in the Iron Age, as well as an interest in Bath. And he put me in touch with Lisa Brown, who's, um, Lisa Brown is a senior archaeologist at the Oxford Archaeology Unit. And her field is pottery, and her special field is Iron Age pottery. So she's had the pottery for a time, and she actually made some drawings three days ago on Sunday. And these are some of her drawings. Pottery drawings for archaeology are always done with a pottery split into two halves. If you look at this one here, that one. So on the left is a cross-section of the piece of pottery with any, any uh, bits on it. On the right, it shows the external decoration. So this was the bit with the geometric design. There's another geometric design here. And this is a piece which has got little fingernail markings I've actually brought some of the pottery, if anybody wants to look at it uh, afterwards. It is actually slightly more interesting than a broken flower pot, but some of it looks a bit like a broken flower pot. And there's some much larger pots or, or uh, 
jars as they're called, the one at the top would be huge. It would be more than a foot, a foot and a half by two feet. A huge jar, probably used for storage. These are fingerprint decorations. You can actually see the marks of somebody's fingerprint. So these would be used for storage and probably indicate quite a sizable group of people there. So having found the pottery, it was perhaps we had a reason to go ahead. And we managed to get permission to do some wood clearance. The area is very, this is the area, inside there, somewhere. Very overgrown. And the land, as I said, is owned by the National Trust. We managed to clear it last autumn. We weren't allowed to clear it in the summer because of nesting birds. This is Ben Cross, the National Trust warden, who's been extremely helpful. And we had a day with children from Freshford School. Now, I was a little apprehensive when Ben said, I've got some small children from Freshford School, because you can hardly get into this wood. But it was cut down with chainsaws. And as Ben said, these children will be like a swarm of locusts, as indeed they were. And they cleared a huge area. So we could then do some geophysics in an area perhaps about, I think, 10 metres by 60 metres. This is John Oswin again using his magnetometer on the site. But the, r the real reason for this photograph is to show that in the distance is the centre of Bath. So from this area, you get a very good view of the middle of Bath, what would have been a rather, mostly rather swampy area where the hot springs would have been uh, bubbling and steaming and smelling. And we know Iron Age people went down to the springs because a small wall has been found there and a few pieces of Iron Age pottery. So we've now got one of these geophysics pictures coming up. <coughs> uh, this shows what we found. This is thought to be contamination around here of, of bits of metal which are detected. And around here are circles which are probably the post holes of roundhouses. Now you might think, um, what on earth is this? Well, if you take an aerial photograph of an Iron Age site which is being excavated, you get lots of holes. Some of these are roundhouses, like for example there, and some of them pits, storage pits. But you get a sort of mass of holes in the ground. And there's increasing evidence that in the Iron Age, and perhaps in the Bronze Age, the roundhouses were only used for one generation. And when people died, the roundhouse was burnt, the holes were filled in, and another house was built. So you get a sort of mismatch of holes. This is um, John's interpretation of the geophysical findings. This bit is a lot of magnetic contamination. And these are here are the... Um, probable post holes of many houses. There were a few other things which you might have found. Again, this is work in preparation, which has to be submitted to for, for peer review. The sort of things you see in a house, things like that, that is from Butzer, which is a reconstruction of an Iron Age house. Now, it may be that that will be the end of the story. I've discussed with the National Trust, should we go any further? Should we do some digging? And the answer is probably no. If you dig, you destroy forever. We know there's pottery there. I think I forgot to date it for you. And we know the houses there. I did forget to date it. Lisa Brown, who um, looked at the pottery, said it's been dated to 800 to 600 BC. It's called the earliest Iron Age. Iron Age. 
In fact, it used to be Late Bronze Age, but it's been renamed the Earliest Iron Age. So, chronologically, we've had a quick rush through some of the finds, um, some flints, um, a possible stone circle, round barrows, a field system, Bronze Age to Iron Age, an early Iron Age hilltop enclosure, and an early Iron Age settlement. My real hope, perhaps for all this, is that some of the objects that exist in Bath could be put on permanent display. A lot of beautiful flints, a lot of Bronze Age tools, and I think it would be nice if these were available for people in Bath to see them. None of this uh, work would be possible without help from a lot of people. I apologise for those people, some in the audience whose names are not on here. Um, but a lot of people have been involved in this work, individuals and societies. Some of the names are here. So one of the interesting things about archaeology is that it seems to be always in a state of change. It doesn't stay the same. So my last picture is a quotation from Paul Barn, a famous archaeologist, who's written that archaeology is a perpetual search never really a finding. It is an eternal journey with no true arrival. Everything is tentative. Nothing is final. So thank you very much uh, for listening. I'd be delighted to try and answer questions. A number of people in the audience, including John Oswin, uh, who prepared to bail me out if I get stuck answering things. Otherwise, thank you very much. <laughs>